This audio is brought to you by MuslimCentral.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi everyone. Welcome back to Quran 30 for 30. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. We're getting now to Juz 24. Want to remind everyone, inshallah ta'ala, before we get into it, to please, inshallah, consider automating your last 10 nights donations or making a contribution to Yaqeen in these last 10 bidnillahi ta'ala as well as the resources that we have at yaqeenistu.org slash Ramadan. Avail yourselves of them, inshallah. And we have none other than the one, the only, Sheikh Dr. Omar Hussain. He, was, he wasn't a doctor last time he was, he was on, but alhamdulillah, like yaqeen fast-tracks people's PhDs. So, <laughs> how you doing, Sheikh? Alhamdulillah. Pleasure to be here uh, getting our tafsir on with both of you. Remember his intro last time? What I love about I love about Dr. Omar is he has a straight face, man. You never know. He was like, last year, what do you say? It was like, it's a pleasure to be here quarantining and dining with my brothers, inshallah. <laughs> yeah. That's so nice. So, so, so you're like, a, so, so you're like on the down low, a really funny guy. Oh, you're yeah. super funny, man. Like, so, so he's, so mashallah, Sheikh Omar like, like maintains that, like, but then, like the types of messages that you send to the team every morning, I'm not, should I read some of those messages that you send to the your your, your late morning jokes? I have, I, have, I have no problem. Sheikh Omar, what's your what is your cause, because because Mashallah, you 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 have a natural uh, thing for comedy as well, Mashallah. What's your favorite knock knock joke or your joke with your kids? <sighs> Favorite knock-knock joke. So I used to kind of be into yo mama jokes, but I don't, as, as I've gotten more mature, I'm just being real, as I've gotten more mature, <laughs> I, I don't think they're appropriate, right? I think you there really you the value of your mother and, you know, <laughs> things like that. So so knock-knock, you know, that's, I, I can't even remember. That was like, what, second or third grade? I. I I don't think I can. All right, well, what's, what's your favorite joke with your kids? Do you have a joke with your kids or anything in particular? Uh, well, my son is, 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 he'll be two in June, inshallah, so I can pretty much do anything, and he'll, he thinks I'm the funniest person in the world. So, Allah bless you and preserve you. Sheikh Abdullah, how you doing, man? I'm good, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Home stretch the last week of Ramadan. Alhamdulillah. Ask Allah for tawfiq, man. Just got to go hard, you know, go a little harder than we did the last 20 days. Absolutely, Allahumma Amin. What's the funniest joke Sheikh Omar has ever told you? Oh man, you're just not as funny as we thought you were. That's all it is, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> he's, either, he's like, yeah, you wish you you don't even know you don't know that. I I can actually answer on behalf of Sheikh Abdullah if he doesn't. Bismillah. So this one, he actually sent me a voice note, and he was just laughing just uncontrollably. Uh, I had mentioned something in a chat or, or something like that. I think we were talking about working out. Um, and I talked about, you know, building muscle or abs or something. I was like, but remember, at, in the end of the day, they're for, for mehram eyes only. That's, oh, that's man. <laughs> and he sends me this. I'm like, he's just laughing. You he couldn't even speak. <laughs> I was like, man. <laughs> Sometimes for eyes only. Yo, that was so funny, man. <laughs> <laughs> So that's that's gonna be the thing for mahram eyes oh, only. That was so right. funny. <laughs> I know we get something out. Alhamdulillah. Play Bismillah. Uh, inshallah ta'ala. Let's go ahead and get started with just twenty-four. Bismillah. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. So uh, now we are actually in um, 
Surah Ghafir and Surah Fussilat. And I think we're going to be reflecting together with Nanai Ta'ala quite a bit on Fussilat. And uh, this is a uh, portion of the Quran that speaks to the early motivation to the believers in regards to da'wah. And subhanAllah, I want to connect it to something that we had spoken about last year in particular, which was the presence of the angels. And that this is a uh, a portion of the Quran where the conversations between the angels and the believers are frequent. And that's something that actually transitions from uh, the, the previous chapter of the Quran as well. And there is such motivation that what you are doing is of value, right? As early believers in Mecca who see very little to be optimistic about at this point, right? You're, uh, the doors are shutting right and left upon you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is encouraging you not just to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but to appreciate the light that you can't see right now, which are the malaika, the angels that are surrounding you and the fruits of your da'wah or the seeds that you're planting with your da'wah that are to bear fruit. And subhanAllah, I was just pondering upon like some of the sayings of the salaf, uh, of the companions in particular, about how much they loved the, uh, the hamims, the hawamim. Uh, we talked about this last year, and I specifically remember actually Sheikh Yasser Fahmi uh, beautifully. If you go back to season one, just 24, I remember Sheikh Yasser Fahmi, Hafidahullah, who will be coming on, inshallah, um, speaking about these narrations about the hawamim, about the hamims. And Ibn Mas'ud anhu mentioning that the example of the Quran is like a person who sets out to find a place for his family to stay, and then he comes to a place where there's rainfall. And while he is walking about, he then comes about these beautiful gardens. And he said, I liked the first traces of rainfall, but this is even more beautiful. So he said, the first place is the Quran, and then these beautiful gardens. They are the family of the Hawamim in relation to the rest of the Quran. And Ibn Abbas عنه, said that this has the essence of the Quran, is the family of Hamim. And so I was thinking about this, subhanAllah, with Ibn Mas'ud عنه, in particular. He was one of those early Muslims who was persecuted, who read the Quran publicly before everyone else would, and saw sort of the, the way that this was developing, right? And, and this is a surah that basically says, stay the course. There is light at the end of the tunnel, and there is the light of the angels surrounding you the entire time. And so uh, we get into this, this, this surah in particular, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls out the disbelievers on some of the things that they were not aware of. So they would think to themselves, because remember, they're, they're sort of feeling the Prophet out. They knew they were going to oppose him, whether he was a prophet or not. But at the same time, they wanted to feel out how much power this revelation was actually giving to the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so they meet together and they say that, you know, do you think that Allah can hear us? Do you think that there is some sort of of, uh, of supernatural being that is conveying our news to the Prophet ﷺ? Because it seemed like the Prophet ﷺ was always aware of their plans. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed verse 22 in relation to that. And, uh, you know, what you used to conceal, uh, you know, amongst yourselves, uh, it, you know, you had this, uh, you had this, this fun, right? This feeling. I'm sorry, and I'm going too far ahead. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala heard the, 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 the najwa, the, uh, the secret conversations that you used to have <coughs> and those things that you used to try to conceal amongst yourselves. SubhanAllah, it all becomes there to you. And so uh, we go to verse... 22 and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
mentions about these things. Sorry, I went too, too, uh, too far ahead. That was verse 23. So verse 22, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that you did not know that that which you used to conceal amongst yourselves and yashhada alaykum ma'akum uh, sam'ukum that your sam'ah, your, your, uh, your hearing would testify against you وَأَبْصَارُكُمْ and your, your eyes would test against you uh, and your julud, your skins would bear witness against you but rather ظَنَنْتُمْ أَنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَعْلَمُ كَثِيرًا مِمَّا تَعْمَلُونَ you thought that perhaps Allah does not know a great deal of what you used to do and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the next verse that and that was the dhan, the thought of your Lord that led to your ruin and you became amongst the losers. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informing them that he hears them and Allah informing the Prophet sallallahu that he will continue to expose them to him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so this was to, to really shake them to understand like, look, Allah knows what you are doing and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows uh, the tactics that you are employing to try to, uh, to deflect. And then you go to verse 26. That the deniers of truth used to say, don't cause or don't listen to the Quran, don't let anyone listen to the Quran and cause interruption. Cause interruption. So, cause basically, you know, lahu, cause all sorts of noise when it is being recited, so that you will gain victory, so you will gain upper hand. So, this is really interesting because it speaks to the early tactic now of the Meccans where when anyone would start to recite the Quran, they would immediately have people on demand to go and interrupt. So they'd either start making lots of silly noises or they would say, you know, they'd have someone else stand next to the reciter of the Qur'an and start reciting all of these stories of the past to say, look, it's just asatir al-awwaleen, it's just the stories of the past, the fables of the past. They recite some, we recite some. So the point was they actually had an interruption model when anyone would start to recite the Qur'an. And you can imagine how silly this actually made them look. Okay, that they would make loud noises and they would try to disrupt, you know, telling uh, some of the outsiders to put cotton in their ears so that you don't hear the Quran. This would make them look very silly and very insecure, right? As opposed to the Prophet who recites so dignified. You know, they, they come to the Prophet with all this rudeness, with all this lewdness, and the Prophet responds with what? A dignified recitation of the Quran. He doesn't even entertain it. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks to that demeanor. In verse 30, Those who say that Allah is our Lord and they remain steadfast, upon them angels descend and they say, do not fear, do not grieve, and receive the glad tidings of paradise which you were promised. And so you'll find the Mufassirun saying some, you know, some of them saying this was revealed in praise of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq anhu, as well as the Prophet uh, Of course, first the Prophet and then Abu Bakr as-Siddiq anhu, and some of the early callers to Islam who just remained so dignified and despite all of the interruption were able to bring many people to Islam. And of course, Abu Bakr anhu, was responsible for a large group of the early converts Part of that was the dignified approach of Abu Bakr anhu. He never became uh, lewd or rude or responded in like manner. So if you are in Mecca and witnessing the scene, right, you've got these people that are <clears throat> clearly foolish, clearly, you know, insecure, um, acting in a certain way. And then you've got these people that are dignified believers, sticking to their message, living by their message. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, to them what? You know, do not become like them. 
right? وَلَا تَسْتَوِ الْحَسَنَةُ وَلَا um, good and evil are not equal. And you will see that uh, when you re- repel evil with good, instead of responding to evil with evil, that those that you had enmity with would become your closest friends. They'll actually become waliyun hamim. So they will become your defenders. They won't just become your friends and your supporters. They'll also become your allies, your advocates, a means of your protection in society as opposed to a means of your oppression in society. And I know Shaykh Omar Hussain, inshallah, is going to um, speak about this a bit, inshallah ta'ala, but I want to just mention the seerah backdrop of this. You know, for the first few years of the da'wah, no one, no one from the powerful was accepting Islam. It was all, right, a certain portfolio. And um, when I say the power class, those that could actually give power to the Muslims in society, okay, power in the sense of force. So you had, you know, uh, people that were wealthy and people that were notable and reputable that were accepting Islam alongside the majority of the people, which were the Bilads and the Khababs of the world. But you also did not have anyone that just came with just that strength, right, that could usher a new era for Islam in society, give way for it to be read uh, publicly without any type of harm without any type of harm or hardship coming from the Meccans. So why is this significant here? The ulama say that this verse came in response to the Islam of Hamza ibn Abdul Muttalib radiallahu ta'ala anhu. When Hamza became Islam became Muslim, it was like, wow, okay, we, we have hope. If Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu embraced Islam, right, that now we have some sort of thrust in society. He's the first one that could just walk up to Abu Jahl and smack him, right? And get away with it because of the strength of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu. But they said, so this was a response to the Islam of Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and then a bushra, a glad tidings of the Islam of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu to come, where the Muslims would then be able to walk out and they would be able to recite their Quran behind Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and that was victory for the Muslims. And of course, really the point here is stay the course, stay dignified, don't become like them, and look what will happen as a result of that. And inshallah ta'ala, with that, I will turn it over to Fadilat al-Diktor, Umar Hussain, inshallah, to pick up from there. Jazakumullah khairan. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Wa salatu wa salam ala rasulihil kareem wa ba'd. So, um, finally this year, I got around to watching a documentary uh, with our own dear Sheikh, Dr. Umar Suleiman, called The United States of Hate. Uh, It's about five years old now. So in this documentary, they talk about people who are concerned, like Muslims are going to take over the U.S. or something, and they are armed and they are literally preparing for it. So in that, there is a, he's a young man, and he has, you know, kind of bought into this, uh, this hype that this is going to happen. And he actually uh, registers to run for political office. I don't know what uh, became of his political career, but he registers and he's followed at the uh, towards the conclusion of the program, um, he has a conversation with uh, with Dr. Omar, right? And so, you know, Dr. Omar uh, Suleiman, mashallah, he's a country bumpkin, right? So he has kind of that Southern hospitality and uh, naturally he's like that, mashallah, but, uh, you know, that kind of adds to it. And he's, he's speaking to him. And as they're sitting and talking, and, and this man he's talking about, you know, I believe that you know, every every immigrant coming here is a, a refugee. They're a threat, and, and all, all kinds of really outrageous claims. And 
And then uh, they are, as they're sitting there, they look and there's a, a little girl who's hopping around because her legs were blown off when a bomb was dropped in her home. And, uh, you know, uh, Sheikh Hamad looks at, at this man and says, you know, is, is this, you know, something like, is, is this the threat? Is this what you were, you were talking about? And he, he can't really respond. And then later he, he does kind of in an off-camera segment, uh, or not together, if I remember. And, you know, he says that if, if someone like that came and said, you know, I'm trying to escape a, a war-torn country and, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm seeking refuge, literally, I don't think you, I could turn them down. He said, uh, you know, you, the word he used was you'd have to be heartless to turn them down. So I'm mentioning this because I think it's really relevant to understand when, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, idfa' billati hiya ahsan, that repel that which is repugnant with that which is better, and you may find that your worst enemies become close to you or support you, as Dr. Arma was saying. However, I think sometimes we think that, well, there's just, we get into this like fantasy, like, well, if I'm nice to someone, they're going to say, you know, the shahada or something. May Allah guide this man and guide us all. But what can happen is that there can be a shift in perspective and i don't maybe maybe they can do a follow-up uh you know to that now but there can be a shift in perspective so that someone can go from maybe being and actively working against islam to maybe at least becoming a little bit neutral or even saying something positive it doesn't mean they're going to start coming coming to the masjid and supporting us and anything like that but at least we have, you know, kind of put out some fires because of this person's um, sort of, uh, you know, ignorance or hatred or, or whatever the case may be. Now, when Allah says, idfa' billati hiya ahsan, repel that which is repugnant with that which is better, there's, a, there's another point here that we need to understand. If you're repelling that which is evil or repulsive with that which is better, it means you're actually taking the time to have a conversation with someone. It means you're actually in a position where you are going to repel something evil because you have to face it in the first place. In that documentary, the producers, uh, Sheikh Omar, they decided to have that conversation. That, that didn't have to happen. And we see uh, a lot of times, you know, nowadays we have this sort of strange phenomenon of like, if someone says something a little bit off amongst Muslims or even way off, it's just like, we're just not even going to have any conversation. We're not going to listen. We're not going to give benefit of the doubt. And that's it. Then it's not very difficult to have a conversation when you're speaking to yourself or when you're only listening to, uh, to people that agree with you. That's what this verse is encouraging and telling us that if you live in reality, there's going to be uncomfortable conversations, but you have to take the upper hand when you do them. So Ibn, uh, uh, Ibn Abbas, he comments, he said that this means sabru and al So to have patience when someone is angry. So when someone is all in your face, those are the difficult times. That's when it's really easy to lose it. That's the test right there, right? Um, he also says it's al-hilmu and al-jahl. 
to be forbearing in the face of ignorance. When you see people shouting slogans and doing all these things, it's out of ignorance. Everyone doing that does not, uh, they're not aware of what they're doing and then they have a plot. Some are, others are just ignorant and they've just been riled up by the crowd. So to have forbearance, that's why the Prophet ﷺ was described as nas. He was the most forbearing. Um, this is a, 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 a incredible prophetic quality for us to have to not just get all riled up and excited about um, everything, whether it's on a keyboard or whether it's in person. And then he says, al-'afu and al-asa'a, to pardon when someone wrongs you. All of these things are repelling that which is repulsive with that which is better. And the result of this will be, in best case scenario, you will have someone become your defender and actually join. And may Allah guide uh, anyone whose heart is open to that. So for example, when we look at the seerah Abu Sufyan, um, he was uh, actively harming the Prophet Wasallam in the beginning of the message, but he did finally accept, right? All those years of facing the Prophet Wasallam's character it all, you know, it, it meant something at the end of the day. Even though if you asked anyone in that beginning, they would have said this is not even a chance for it to happen. But the Prophet ﷺ constantly repelling evil with that which was better, eventually got to his heart. And then of course, Khalid bin Walid, uh, the great general who has a beautiful story, which I uh, encourage everyone to read. But just, you know, very, very briefly, uh, Khalid bin Walid, he, he narrates himself, he says that when the Prophet ﷺ, when we were, you know, in battles, even though he was this great general and war genius, he said, I really never, I always knew he was going to be victorious. I never really believed that we were going to be victorious. And so when, when the Muslims returned uh, for, for Hajj the year after the Treaty of, of Hudaybiyah, he actually went into the mountains because he was kind of confused. He's like, I don't want to go uh, become another faith because that doesn't appeal to me. He's like, but then I can't just go and submit to the Muslims. And so he kind of went off in the mountains and his brother wrote him a letter. His brother's name was Walid and uh, kind of saying, you know, like how could someone as intelligent as you not have become Muslim yet? And so he goes and there's much more to the story, but he goes to the Prophet who is of course delighted and welcomes him with open arms. Who would have thought that Khalid bin Walid in the beginning of Islam would ever embrace Islam? The Prophet and the Muslim's character in general, you know, it, it wore on him and it got to him in the end, alhamdulillah. And now he is one of our, uh, you know, our great heroes, alhamdulillah. So continuing to repel that which is evil uh, with that which is positive, with that which is better, particularly in our uh, social media age where everything is just responding quickly, so not being forbearing, not thinking it out, not even waiting a day. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I got off Twitter uh, a while back. And um, I, I would recommend to just not engage in that online debating. I don't know when the last time, when was the last time someone actually won an argument doing that. There's just far more harm than good. Um, and it's just not, it, it can really get us out of our character, particularly when, we, when we're able to hide behind something. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us in this verse, and then finally he says, وَمَا يُلَقَّهَا إِلَّا الَّذِينَ صَبَرُوا وَمَا يُلَقَّهَا إِلَّا ذُو حَظٍ عَظِيمٍ The people that can do this are those who have tremendous patience. And only those who do it are ذو حَظٍ عَظِيمٍ which uh, many of the Mufassirun mention, basically a person of Jannah. 
uh, a person who is able to repel evil with good, who is able to hold their character, not, you know, not go low when others go low, they are the ones who will have ultimate success. So there's a lot of uh, incentive, certainly, and, and um, motivation for us to do it. And when, as you're watching the series on our beloved Prophet Sallallahu this month, uh, that's every single episode, that's what, that's what you see. It's constantly being better than the other person. Um, and so this is uh, something we should, inshallah, aspire to. Uh, in these last 10 nights, as we're getting uh, more sleep deprived and, and, you know, the hunger's kicking in and we're kind of looking towards Eid and, you know, a lot of things are going on, inshallah. These are the, this is the true test. And so may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those who have exemplary character um, in the path of our Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I really appreciate that. Hafizakallah. I think, um, you know, one thing, subhanAllah, that, uh, and I won't carry the discussion now, but I think that there is a tension at times, like even by the way, when that documentary was made, like, oh, you know, the whole, the good Muslim, bad Muslim thing and apologizing for our faith and condemning and stuff like that, that we have to constantly condemn. And, and some of the critique was valid, to be honest with you, like it made me reflect, you know, my playing into sort of that, the narrative that then gets packaged into CVE prevent like policies and stuff like that of, Good Muslim versus bad Muslim, but I think that the the um, the prophetic way is that we don't relinquish, you know, our cause in any way, nor do we uh, whitewash the hatred that comes towards Islam and towards the Muslims, but at the same time just demonstrate dignified character throughout, right? And so I think that a lot of times there's a fear that if you're too nice to the opposition. Uh, and those that hate you, that that necessarily means that you're not just empathizing with them, but you're going to rationalize their pain for them and sanitize their pain, which is irrational, bigoted, sometimes racist, right? And just be like, oh, like, yeah, we understand why you hate people, but we're not all. So the reality is that the, the fine prophetic line was that the Prophet was uncompromising on his positions. But at the same time, the Prophet was as uncompromising with his character, right? SubhanAllah, that I'm going to remain the same person throughout this. And his heart was not unforgiving. Like, that's the beautiful part of it. Like, uh, he was able to accept these people that did so much harm to him after it was all said and done. So, Jazakallah khair, beautiful reflection. Really appreciate that. Very relevant. Um, and that story of Khalid was definitely one of my favorite about a person just seeking out spirituality. Because the narrative is that, you know, all the people that became Muslim later on just did it out of force, right? And Fatah Mecca, like, like yeah. no, there is a journey for each one of them. SubhanAllah, Khalid definitely had his journey there. Yeah, that's it's, uh, it's very special to me. I, I was searching, you know, a lot uh, when my son, son was born, but that was kind of the... The turning point to where I actually named my son Walid. So it's like after the Walid family uh, overall. <laughs> when kids, his brother wrote him a letter uh, that this is too good. That's yeah. <laughs> so a beautiful story that uh, I didn't do it justice because of the time, but uh, you should yeah. give, it, give it a read. Inshallah, I encourage the audience to. Inshallah, inshallah. Maybe we can uh, have you record that story, inshallah, and just release it as a separate uh, lecture, inshallah. Inshallah. Sheikh Abdullah, take us away, man. Tfadda. I love hearing the stories of the companions because you know it really paints a picture of their humanity and it shows how they are the best of people after the prophets being that 
you know, with their personalities, their different personalities. I mean, you have Khalid Walid and you have Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu anhu. And we say radiallahu anhu, but when you learn, see the personality of Abu Dhar al-Ghifari, he was someone that was very rough, mashallah, tabarakallah. And that's how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created him. But when it came to the message of Islam, the message of truth, the message of prophethood, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you saw that he fell in line. And, you know, even with the companions, with Duan Allah alayhim, you see their different personalities. And when seeing this, it's very, very encouraging, you know, to be honest, because you realize sometimes we may think that we're not worthy enough to be a good Muslim. And you see this a lot with the youth and people that may have converted to Islam and they look back at their past or someone that, mashallah, is trying to do the right thing, but shaitan plays with them and, and you know, you know, causes them to think about their past to the degree to where they'll have despair or firstly sadness, which could lead to despair and could lead to even worse than that. But when you read the stories of the companions, subhanAllah, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, he mentioned the verse in Fusilat where, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you know, a portion of the verse where he told them, you know, the people of disbelief said, don't listen to this Quran and cancel it out, you know, or do love or have some, you know, speech that would drown out what they're saying, what they're reciting. And, uh, you know, the companion Tufayl ibn Amr al-Dawsi, he was known as you know, he was known as a companion that had two pieces of cotton in his ears because he was told when he was on the outskirts of Mecca, don't listen to this man named Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You know, he's a sahirun, you know, he's, he's all of these things. But subhanAllah, Sheikh Omar, uh, Dr. Omar San Antonio, not Dr. Omar Dallas. Dr. Omar San Antonio, uh, we got to give y'all some acronyms, man. You know, uh, when, 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 when he, when subhanAllah, he came to Mecca, he started the conversation. As Dr. Omar San Antonio mentioned, you know, breaking the barriers of not having conversation. As Dr. Omar Dallas had in the documentary, what happened? And I think it's very, very important for us as Muslims to, to break those barriers and to welcome the uncomfortable moments. That will only be moments, but it will be something that is long lasting for the person that may have the bad perception of you or you as a Muslim having a bad perception about the kafir or non-Muslim, right? Having those perceptions and, and allowing those perceptions and realize that it was something that really had no strong fabric to it or or we say uh, religious fabric to it or uh, you know something that has validity in our religion rather it may be the opposite so those are very good points that y'all mentioned i'm going to touch on something that ties into something a little more broader in regards to the qudra of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his ability there was a narration I, I can't remember who mentioned it but subhanallah i hope one of us in the inshallah in the comments will enlighten us with the or one of the doctors here of when one companion was asked about you know when allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned how can people walk on their faces in the day of judgment he said is it not the one that caused them to walk on their feet able to walk on their faces you know the prophet gives me examples what they call qiyas and making an analogy of that which you may perceive is impossible or unfathomable that reality does not exist with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala impossible does not exist with allah subhanahu wa ta'ala everything is possible with him because he created the concept of possibilities in initially but that reality is for us as human beings. With Allah, that does not exist. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about in the chapter of Fusila, chapter number 41, uh, in verse number 19, after speaking about the believers and speaking about subhanAllah, the punishment that he gave to, to Ad, he talks about these certain levels of punishment that he gave to the different nations. And then he mentions how he saves the ones 
that were believers. In verse number 18, and we saved the ones that believed and they were the ones that were mindful of Allah. They were the people that had taqwa of Allah. But then he does iltifat. And in, in iltifat is he turns the other page or the opposite side, the dark side. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does this a lot. And you study this in what they call balagha or, you know, for lack of better words, rhetoric where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will show you the good and then he will bring the other side for you to get a full a picture and understand to where the goal of that is to stop and say, okay, to, to get the book and to close it and to say, well, where do I fall in this? Where do I want to be? May I encourage you to say, oh Allah, make me from Ashab al-Yameen. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, make me from the people on the right hand, the people that will be blessed and saved, inshallah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse number 19, where he says, after Audhu bin Lamin al-Shaytan al-Rajim, وَيَوْمَ يُحْشَرُ أَعْدَاءُ اللَّهِ إِلَى النَّارِ فَهُمْ يُوزَعُونَ Allah says, and remember the day when the enemies of Allah will be gathered to the fire, then they will be driven. So the first thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing is he's telling us about the future. This day that they were yuhsharu, yani yuhsharu yujma'un, that they will be gathered ila nar. So this is a confirmation that the nar exists, the fire exists. Whom yuza'un, then they will be gathered to the fire and be driven forth. Driven forth. Hatta idha ma ja'uha shahida alayhim sam'uhum wa abusaruhum wa juluduhum bima kanu ya'malun. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, after the fact that there will be the enemies of Allah driven to the fire of hell. And the enemies of Allah here, scholars have mentioned that it could be those that voluntarily, consistently disbelieved in Allah when they passed away, or those that were persistent on their fisk, their open disobedience or disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are the ones that have been considered the a'da of Allah because a'da is the opposite of awliya. And they're the ones and the opposite of iman is kufr the opposite of taqwa is fisk is disobedience the opposite of belief is disbelief and the opposite of mindfulness or fear of allah subhanahu wa is uh disobedience consistent disobedience so here allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying after that when they'll be driven to the fire hatta they'll be driven until they reach the point when they get to it they're hearing they're seeing, their sense of seeing, and their skin will testify against them. Will testify against them. Your own body parts will testify against you. And Allah mentions three of them. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that these body parts will testify against you. It's like when you get closer to something, you know, small, we were talking about some vacation sites before going here. You know, if you go with your children, you know, to a waterfall and you're about to go on the slide. I remember before I went on a ride, it was a slide when I was very, very young. You know, you're with your friends, you're walking up the stairs like, yeah, we're going to do this. <laughs> when you get there, it's like, um, maybe next time. Let me, let me, uh, let me think about this. You're, you know, and your friends are like, come on, let's go. When you reach that final frontier, that's when the real you will come out. That's when the fears will come. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying here, when they get to that place, their own body parts will testify against them. Al-Qadir, the one that is able to do that, is able to do all things. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts the dialogue. He mentions the dialogue that will take place. They will say to their skin, 
Why did you testify against us? قالوا أنطقنا الله الذي أنطق كل شيء. Their skin will say, أنطقنا الله. Allah made us speak. He is the one that caused everything to speak. وهو خلقكم أول مرة وإليه ترجعون. And then this, your own skin will remind you of the creator of the skin and his abilities and your reality based on those abilities. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, your skin will speak, and they will say, Allah caused us to speak, the one that caused everything to speak. And he is the one that created you in the beginning, and to him you will return. You will be returned, actually. What is so beautiful here is the verbs that he uses is called the passive tense. That Allah is in ultimate control. The day when the, the enemies will be gathered. They will be gathered. And the day that you will be returned, Allah is in ultimate control in this time, brothers and sisters. So it's important for us to remember that Allah has ultimate control. And on this day, you will absolutely have no control. Absolutely have no control over your own senses, over your own body parts. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is having your own skin remind you of the greatness of your creator, of its creator, your creator. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is reminding us here that we will return to him. And this is what is so beautiful. And the verses continue on, subhanAllah, because of time. You know, I highly implore all of you to read these, these beautiful verses as a reminder for us in these last 10 nights and the following nights as well. But use this as a catalyst. Let's use Ramadan as a catalyst for a new spiritual habit. Primarily with regarding these verses to sit at a time with ourselves and hope to have regret because the regret is a form of redemption. Let's have these last 10 days to sit alone with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and have redemption to where we think about this day that will happen. And we ask ourselves, what have I been looking at? What have I been touching with my skin that will testify against me? What have I been listening to? Online, what have I pressed with my fingers? What have I done? And where do I want to go? These are questions that the one that is the muhsin, the one that holds themselves accountable before they will be held accountable. As Umar bin Khattab used to say, this is the one that inshallah will be fortunate for us on this day when there is no return and we will be with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam inshallah ta'ala. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us of those that have continuous reminder and remembrance and hold ourselves accountable looking at ourselves before looking at anyone else. Very powerful, uh, Sheikh Abdullah. Dr. Omar San Antonio, do you have anything to share? You know, when when you think of that imagery of, of your own skin bearing witness, and sometimes people say things like, you know, uh, this isn't fair. Why did this happen to me? Or God isn't fair. I see just the opposite. I think that is as fair as you can be. There is no hiding what your own body did. I mean, that is ultimate justice. That is ultimate fairness. Um, and inshallah, that's a mindset that, that we have as believers, alhamdulillah, to, to keep us sane uh, during the craziness when sometimes we're trying to seek justice in this world and it doesn't always turn out as it should be. But to say that Allah is not fair uh, is just uh, totally, totally false. Allah is the most fair, and he, and he shows us that over and over again. So very, 
a very uh, powerful verse. And subhanAllah, it connects, um, you know, to, to the whole the whole part, right? وَمَا كُنْتُمْ تَسْتَتِرُونَ أَنْ يَشْهَدَ عَلَيْكُمْ سَمْعُكُمْ وَلَا أَبْصَارُكُمْ وَلَا جُلُودُكُمْ You thought that your ears, your eyes, uh, your, your, your seeing, your sight, your skins would never testify against you, right? And that was in regards to the things they were plotting against the Prophet ﷺ. But here, this is very personal for each and every single one of us on the Day of Judgment. Like you never imagine your actual limbs, your skin, your eyes, your, your tongue testifying against you. And, and a reminder to everyone, you know, um, you know, let it be that these organs testify for you on the Day of Judgment. Uh, I loved how Sheikh Abdullah talked about the opposite of uh, the opposite of Iman and Taqwa being um, kufr and fisk, uh, the opposite of belief and piety being disbelief and, and open rebellion, disobedience. Uh, for every bad that we find in the Quran and the Sunnah, bad quality about a people, there's a good quality uh, that we are called to instead. And for every good quality, there's a warning on the other side of that. And so we can become very paranoid. Um, we should be pious, not paranoid about these things, right? We should be thinking about how to guard our limbs, guard what we have, to not use them in ways that are displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in fact, uh, transform that into say, you know, I want I want these these limbs to testify for me on the day of judgment. I want my tongue to testify for me on the day of judgment, my eyes uh, to testify for me. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that to be the case for us. Allahumma ameen. Zakmullah khair, Dr. Omar Hussain, our uh, head of instruction at Yaqeen under expanded learning, alhamdulillah. And I know that uh, people have missed you, and um, inshallah ta'ala, we, we'll be seeing you soon, bidnillah. Um, you're not too far away from us. I don't know, do you, do you like being called Dr. Omar San Antonio? You're still California, right? You're, you're up in hey, California all day, right? You can take the Cali out of, oh, how's it go? <laughs> <laughs> you can take the boy out of Cali, but you can't take the Cali out of the boy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you made that up, but that's okay. Zakamullah. Zakamullah, Sheikh Abdullah, for the for the for the powerful reflection as well. Barakallahu A reminder to everyone, inshallah ta'ala, please do um, go to our resources, yakinstu.org/slash/ramadan. Benefit from everything that's being put out, especially in these last ten nights, and please consider as well supporting our work as well as the other uh, wonderful causes that are out there. Barakallahu fikum. Wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Imagine an Islamic school teacher. Imagine her curious students. Imagine her teaching a concept as she usually does. Imagine a student raising his hand and asking a question. But that question is beyond her scope to answer, and she doesn't know how to address it. Imagine that teacher has a resource, has a place to go to that gives her a teaching tool that not only simplifies the process for her, but gives her the chance to answer the very real questions students ask accurately. Imagine the confidence with which she can deliver. Imagine how she can break down a big concept in a visual way. Imagine the impact and the positive change that confidence will inspire in her students. Imagine how satisfied and motivated he'll feel. Know that you no longer need to imagine.